Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. We've got a few extra parts for our service today. So I will, uh, I'm, this is my part. So I'm glad to see you this morning. And um, I want to start, I wanna, I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you that you may have heard before. I'm going to guess probably yes. And it's this. It says, if I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I have gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not ang easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but always rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Isn't that beautiful? I imagine that probably um, if you've been to a few weddings over the years, you may have heard that passage more than once. Uh, and the, the author of this passage, I think just hearing it seems to be a person, wouldn't you think of deep understanding, deep peace? These words are written by uh, Paul, who originally was named Saul, uh, who became the first apostle of the church of Jesus. And he was probably, next to Jesus, the most influential person in the history of Christianity. He traveled all over uh, the Near East, uh, all over the Middle East, all over Western Asia and parts of Europe. And the letters he wrote to the churches that he started there have become the biggest part of the Christian scriptures that we have today, the Christian New Testament scriptures. And he led a life of incredible impact and legacy. Many of you have probably heard of him, yeah? Paul, the Apostle Paul ever heard of him? Also known as Saul. But as we'll see, he was an unlikely person to write this love passage that's become so famous. And his story doesn't start the way you might think it does. Let me read to you uh, a story that we get about Saul later called Paul. So throughout the sermon, I, I, I can't keep it straight. Sometimes I'll call him Saul. Sometimes I'll call him Paul. It's the same person. So luckily it rhymes. I'm very thankful for that. Uh, and let's see where things start with him. So this is taken from the story of the early church in the Christian scriptures, Acts chapter 9. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's the way they talked about the early Christians, the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly, and we'll pause right there. A little teaser. So this is Saul who later writes this passage known as the love passage, which many of us have heard in so many weddings. And today we're going to look at how someone who started out breathing murderous threats can become the same person who wrote, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, today we're going to look at the story of Saul's salvation. 
And if you've been around for a few weeks, you know we're in a series that focuses on salvation, particularly how the scriptures describe salvation as something that happens now in our current experience of life, not as something that happens when we die. But we've been looking at how salvation is described in scriptures as a current, real experience of reality that's different and better than something else that we've already experienced. So for Saul, we're looking at this transformation from a murderous person breathing out threats to a person who could write this passage about love. And to do this, we're going to look at one key passage or one key verse uh, from the passage that we didn't quite get to. So I'm going to finish reading the passage right now. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. And they heard the sound but did not see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And Saul got up. Oh, and so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So what we're looking at today is the story of Saul's salvation. What changed him? But it's not just the story of Saul's salvation that's so interesting to me. As I mentioned, Saul from this point somehow becomes a person who travels all over the known world at that time, known for him and for his people, and shared this message of salvation with other people, starting churches as he went. Pretty amazing life he led. And so we're going to look at not just this personal experience of salvation, but how we can share this with other people. Because li Paul's life was transformed. He became a different person. How can he then go and share this with other people? And I think what we're going to find is in this passage, we see the foundations of what happened in his life that enabled him to become a different person, to experience life in a different way, but also share that new experience with thousands and thousands of other people. Now, I'm not going to put on you the pressure of sharing with thousands of thousands of other people, but we all have people in our lives that we care deeply about, who are stuck, who are hurting. And wouldn't it be great to be able to offer them something that could change their current reality and experience of life? How can we do that? And what can we learn from Paul? What happened in his life that made such a difference? And how can that same thing happen in our lives? Sound interesting? Would you be interested in that? All right, so let's look at that. So to do that, we're going to look at one phrase in particular. It's this one, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I think our entire passage today really turns on this one phrase. So what does it take to go from blind to a guide? What does it take to guide others to salvation? The first thing I would like to suggest is vision. So I'm taking this point from the last word of this phrase, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Me. Now, virtually every scholar I, I read when I was preparing for this talk pointed out that one of the main reasons that Luke, the author of 
uh, the book of Acts, includes this story and is telling of the life of the early church is that it illustrates the uniqueness or the centrality of Jesus to everything that's happening. It points out Jesus and calls him Lord several times throughout the passage. But Luke does this by pointing out that often we, and when I say we, I mean everyone from all sorts of backgrounds, including Christians, are tempted to really kind of just downplay the distinctiveness of Jesus. Saul, for example, in this story, he has absolutely no interest in seeing Jesus as anything other than a dead so-called prophet that left behind some crazy and perhaps dangerous followers. And when, he comes, and when it comes to Jesus, his vision is impaired. And he rightly asked, when encountering him personally, who are you, Lord? What an outstanding question. This is the first and most obvious time that Saul asked this question, but it won't be the last. And this first time, I think if he knew the answer that was coming, <laughs> he probably would have thought something like, please, anyone but Jesus. Anyone, right? He's got letters to put people who follow Jesus in jail. The last person he wants to respond and say, I am he doesn't want the answer to be Jesus. And for you, maybe this morning, that makes just a little bit of sense. You know, if you're in some sort of spiritually curious phase in your life, you may be thinking on some level the same thing this morning. Even though you're here in a church, because you're curious, because you're trying to find something, and maybe you even feel something moving or changing in your life, but part of you is saying anything but Jesus. I mean, I already know about Christianity. I've seen a lot of negative things. Uh, maybe you even associate uh, Christianity with some sort of political party or politics. And you think of the morality maybe of following Jesus. And your impression, at least on the outside looking in, is that what you know of it just seems really kind of dated and regressive. And maybe you're thinking, I'd rather this feeling, this searching, this curiosity in me, be connected or satisfied by pretty much anything other than Jesus. I think Saul, later Paul, can relate to that feeling. Or maybe you're in another place in your life where you're very comfortable with Jesus. Uh, you're really actually comfortable with your understanding of God, and you kind of feel like you've got it figured out. And you have a sense of what right and wrong is, and you're actively trying to live that out, at least what you know. And if you're in either of those places, I think what's really helpful about this passage, those are the two, I think, extremes of the spectrum, right? And so if you're either those or somewhere in between or a little bit of both, I think Saul has a lot and his experience has a lot to teach any of us because Saul is actually both of those things in this passage. But what Saul discovers in this passage is that he's been spiritually blind. And I don't think it's an, ex it's an accident that after Saul encounters Jesus that he can't see for three days. I think, that's, I think that happened, but I think it's kind of a metaphor, too, for the status of his life. Saul, who was convinced that Jesus was a fraud, was also Saul who belonged to a devout religious group who had even distilled the Hebrew scriptures down to 600 laws that they could follow. 
and they knew what it looked like to follow God. But Saul was wrong on both counts. And here's what I hope is one of the things you can take with you from this talk today. I think the only way to see spiritually is to admit that you're spiritually blind. I think the only way to see spiritually is to admit that you're spiritually blind. Let me ask you this. How do you know if you're in touch with spiritual, your own spiritual blindness? Well, have you ever thought to yourself at any point in your life, man, I totally missed it about this thing about God, or I never understood the depths of God's holiness until now. I never really understood my own depth of brokenness or sin before now, or my God, I've been such a fool about God or Jesus or this area of my life or other people. And maybe sort of help you understand what this experience might be like. And I'm not, it doesn't always happen like in a moment, like here for, for Saul, but you just realize over time or even in an instant that it's like you've been living in a dream and you wake up and realize that you've been dreaming. And you think, oh my God. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. It can be like, I never realized God was this big or there are these implications. And I'm such a fool and that's not a condemning thing. It's like, can be like, wow, there's this much more out there. And if you've had experiences like that. Anyone here have any type of experiences like that? A few? When was the last time you had a realization like that? Maybe was it this week? Maybe this month? This year? If we haven't had some sort of experience like that, we haven't connected somehow to how much we can't see, how much we don't understand about Jesus, how spiritually blind we continue to be, then it may just be that we are starting to lose connection to Jesus and to reality. I think that's what Saul discovered here for the first time in this passage. But if you read the letters of Saul that he later wrote to the churches after he'd been living in this new reality for years and years and years, he's still asking the same question, who are you, Lord? Many years later, near the end of his life, He's writing a letter back to this church he started in the city of Philippi, and he says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his deaths, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. He says, I want to know Christ. Saul, later Paul, planter of all these churches, writer of all this scripture, is here at the end of his life saying, I want to know Christ, meaning he understands there's so much that he doesn't know. That there is still in his life, Paul the Apostle, blindness, blind spots, things that he doesn't get. Paul the Apostle, at the end of his life, wants to know Christ more. If anybody gets it, right, wouldn't it be Paul? And I think this is good to remember. Knowing that we're still spiritually blind keeps us learning that there are areas that we are missing it. And it's this type of humility that allows people, actually, I think, to hold deep beliefs without having to villainize other people who don't agree. After all, I still have blind spots. 
I don't have it all figured out perfectly. I need to know more, understand more. Always understanding there's more to see. Just as Saul continued to know Jesus more and more throughout his life. We can still hold deep truths. It doesn't take a thing away from that. Saul certainly ends this story with very deep convictions about the uniqueness and the centrality of Jesus. But as we'll see later, he doesn't hold his new beliefs in the same oppressive, dominating ways that he held his former beliefs. But to follow the example of Saul, we have to keep asking this question, who are you, Lord? What are you doing, Lord? How can I know you better? Where am I blind? There's so much more to see. I know it. Because knowing Jesus is something that's ongoing. And the second thing we can learn from Saul's experience here, I think, is that it's a process. Notice the phrase, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice the thing about that I want to notice you to notice is that it's a question. And before a question can be answered, it has to be considered. I think it's tempting to read this passage and think, wow, God just zaps Saul and changes everything. And God does zap Saul here, okay? <laughs> but that's only part of what's happening. Notice that what Saul does right after his encounter with Jesus is this. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Well, why didn't Saul eat or drink anything? I think it was because his whole world just got turned upside down. I think that's a fair assumption, right? And because he couldn't see, there was nothing that he could do right then about it. And the only thing he could do was sit and think and process through everything. If Jesus was Lord, what did that mean for him, for his life, for the way that he'd been living his life, for the purpose of his life? What would now have to change? What did it mean for all the people that he'd arrested? What, what was next? Those are things that needed process, deliberation, reflection. I think in life, this, this probably, if anything in this sermon applies to me, is I feel like we want to ignore, but we need to reflect. And it can be really, really easy when things in our lives are getting turned upside down to put our focus on just keep going, just keep moving one foot in front of the other. But sometimes, not every time, but sometimes difficult things happen and God is trying to get through to us to point out some blind spots in our lives. Later in Acts, when Saul's recounting the story, he, he throws in a few extra details. He, sa he says that, Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads, is what Paul says, Jesus says to him. Now, anyone here know what a goad is? It's okay if you don't. Any goad knowers? Anyone ever use a goad? Okay, <laughs> I didn't think so. We're in Philadelphia. Uh, a goad is a shepherd's tool or a farmer's tool. Basically, it's a big pointy stick, something my son would love. And shepherds and farmers use it to keep animals out of harm's way or on the right path. So if a sheep is heading for a cliff, a shepherd pokes the sheep with a goad on the side where the cliff is, and they go the other way. Um, or if an ox is starting to pull a plow in a crooked line, 
uh, in a, or in a way that's going to threaten or destroy the, cop or the crops, a farmer would use a goad to get that ox heading in the right direction. So Jesus is indicating here that he's been trying to use circumstances in Saul's life, ones that might even hurt a little, to protect and to direct him. But Saul's been fighting it. You know, sometimes, sometimes things happen in our lives that sting because God is trying to get our attention, trying to get us to see a blind spot so that we can grow and know him better. But if we never take a moment to reflect, if we just keep our heads down, if we just keep going in the same way we've always gone, if we think we already know and there's nothing new to know, we actually unwittingly can find ourselves fighting against God, just like Saul was in this passage. The sting is for our own good. And notice how Jesus addresses Saul. He says, Saul, Saul. The reason I point that out is because um, that repetition of Saul's name. That was a, a Jewish idiom from the day. An idiom is a, a way to use language to make another point than, than what's just there. It's Saul, Saul, when you repeat something back to back like that, it puts an emphasis not just like, hey, Saul, Saul, but no, it's, it, it, it indicates endearment, care, uh, love. And so even as he's Jesus is saying, look, these little things are happening. I'm trying to get your attention, but it's not because I want to punish you or annoy you or give you a bad time. It's because I care. Saul, Saul. And the next thing this question points out to us, I think, is our motivation. So Jesus asks, why are you persecuting me? And Saul here seems to have, it seems in this passage when we get started that Saul's got something to prove to God. Do you kind of feel that when you read the story or hear it? He's super zealous, right? And remember, I mentioned earlier that his brand or his sect of Judaism believed not only that there were 600 rules that had to be followed, but that they could be followed. And Saul would later say when speaking of himself that before this encounter with Jesus, that in regards to those laws, he was faultless. He was doing them all. But this wasn't enough. He had to prove to God that he was really serious, really earnest, really worthy. So he set about to put down anything that seemed to contradict his understanding of God. He knew about God, but he didn't know God. He didn't know the God that would call him Saul, Saul. He could only imagine a God that demanded. And so he blindly got way off track. But when he met God, this changed. The God he met called him longingly. The God he met fulfilled the law for him, taking Saul's, in his failures on his back and nailing it in his own body to the cross and offering in the place of striving and religious performance, knowing. And that's the offer we have. We can trade striving for knowing. And when Saul realized this, his why for life changed. His motivation changed. Instead of living to prove his worthiness, he lived to know the God who wanted the best for him. He wrote in that letter to Philipp the Philippians, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to know Christ. That was his motivation. And it's this motivation for life that helped focus Saul on a new mission that Jesus would give him. It's this motivation, this greater and greater knowing, clearer and clearer sight that kept Saul running and motivated every day. And it wasn't a sense of duty or obligation or having to prove something. It was a lifelong journey of discovery. And the reward was Jesus. And this new understanding of God also changed Paul's method of impacting the world. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Persecuting being the key word here. At the beginning of this passage, Saul's approach, his method, was to force his will on other people. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. And he'd asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so if he found anyone there following Jesus, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. But what, but what he encounters, when he encounters Jesus, Jesus gives him a different message. So in Acts 26, when uh, Saul is telling this story to other people, it says that he gives some more details about the experience, and he notes that Jesus says, Now, get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to point you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus is sending him not to put down those who disagree with him, but instead to reach out to them, to be their servant to offer them inclusion, not condemnation. Not only to reach out, but to reach out in the way of Jesus through service and humility with the understanding that he also was blind and is still blind. He has blind spots. So our call, which we borrow from Paul here, is to serve, not impose, but to serve. And if we want to see our great city become even better, which is what we talk about every week, this is what Philly needs to see in us. And I think what we see here are four hallmarks of people that really actually have encountered Jesus. So if you're concerned, maybe you're one of those people, you were curious about faith in Jesus, somehow you ended up here, but you don't know why, but you're here and you're wondering, but you're also thinking, God, anything but Jesus. Could it just be anything else? These, I think, are the four hallmarks we can see from this passage of people who actually have encountered him. And maybe this can give you hope and be a reminder to all of us of what our opportunity is as we continue to seek to know him better and better. The first is humility. Understanding that we all continue to have areas of spiritual blindness. Second, reflection. Understanding that our spiritual journey is a journey and a process that we have to thoughtfully engage in. Third, motivation. That everything we do is with the hope that we can know Jesus more. And fourth, service. That our approach to reaching out to Philly is to build others up, not to put them down. And these are four hallmarks of the life of anyone who truly knows and is trying to know Jesus more. 
perhaps not in perfection, perhaps really not even that close, but with more and more consistently, hopefully, as we seek to know the one who calls us with intensity and longing. So, to wrap up, let me ask you a couple questions. What area of your life has been sort of a thorn in your side the last six months? I mean, I'm serious, this is a real question. In fact, I'd like you just to take a moment, nobody's gonna be looking over your shoulder, just to write that, just write it down on your page, somewhere on your bulletin, just where you can see it, nobody else has to. What has this situation shown you about your character? How are you contributing to its ongoing irritation? Has it caused problems in your relationships? What does that show you about yourself? About you? And like all of us, I imagine you're hoping that situation just changes. Maybe that someone else changes. Or you're waiting for a break. And that all of that could be part of the solution. And this may even be one of those situations that does have nothing to do with you. Maybe God isn't trying to goad you in a certain direction. But could it be that God wants to use this situation to goad you into some personal life change? Maybe even point out something to you about you or your spiritual life. Not everything that happens in our lives is a goad from God. But have you taken time to reflect on your current situation and even consider that it might be, might be able to point out something, maybe a blind spot in your own life? And the second question is a simple one. Where do people, no, maybe not that simple. Where do people around you need new life? What comes to mind first? How could you serve them in that place? Let's pray. God, thank you for the example of Saul. And not just the life transformation that happens, but the type of transformation it is and how attractive it is. And we, uh, we welcome you into our lives that we could experience more and more of that. Amen.